Okay, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and uh, good evening from Israel. Um, today or yesterday, we celebrated, commemorated, commiserated perhaps, depending on uh, where you come from, six months of uh, the new government and officially one year until ostensibly at least, uh, alternate uh, Prime Minister Benny Gantz is supposed to replace current Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in the Prime Minister's office. Um, so this is a good time as any to take stock and see where we are. Uh, very few people would think that there's any chance, in fact, I think even uh, polls were taken, which shows that very, very few Israelis believe that Benny Gantz uh, will be Prime Minister in a year. Uh, when, when the handover is supposed to take place. In fact, many people believe that elections are actually going to uh, come much sooner than that and may even be called uh, in a few weeks in December. Uh, we've talked a few times about uh, the fact that according to coalition agreement between uh, Benny Gantz and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, or at least their respective parties, that if uh, elections should be called early, then uh, Benny Gantz gets to sit at least six months uh, in the Prime Minister's office, except, and this is the key uh, that we've talked about a few times, if a budget doesn't pass. If a budget doesn't pass, then uh, elections are automatically called and the current incumbent Prime Minister uh, remains in that position uh, until or even after elections. Um, what that means is that there is an opportunity for Prime Minister Netanyahu to stay in the Prime Minister's office and seek elections uh, to perhaps get him out, out of this uh, uh, government, which he's not happy about and, and maybe increase his power, at least uh, seek um, uh, uh, a right-wing government with more quote-unquote natural partners. So the question is, what's going to happen in one month, um, a little bit more, let's say five weeks, uh, when the uh, state budget, uh, the, the time to pass the state budget expires, and if one is not presented and voted on, by the way, it's not just it needs to be presented, budgets take, can take uh, weeks in themselves to be voted on, let alone presented, and there's no movement so whatsoever, apparently, on a budget. There is talk behind the scenes of some early discussions or whatever, but it's, it's clear that a budget is not forthcoming. So it seems very, very likely, that's my impression, very, very unlikely that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has decided uh, that we are going to elections in December, which means uh, that the actual elections will take place in March. And why, why, do, why do I say that? Or why do a lot of people think that? There, there are a few things. First of all, in the background, in domestic politics, uh, you know what, let's start internationally. I think the fact that uh, it's clear now uh, that President Trump will not be continuing and there'll be a new uh, president, a new White House, a new administration, which will certainly be a lot less friendly uh, to Prime Minister Netanyahu, or what he will see as less friendly uh, than President Trump. Um, and I think that elections after March will mean that President Biden will certainly have time to 
come round to the Middle East uh, peace process, an issue which he's dealt with before. And he certainly won't be as friendly, as we said, with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Already the Palestinians are welcoming Biden to, uh, to the office. And it's clear that there will be a different uh, outlook. Again, we spoke about this last week. I don't see that it will be uh, the levels of uh, sort of uh, hostility, mild hostility uh, between the two administrations. I don't think we'll see that. But we certainly could see some of the faces involved with the Obama uh, administration's decision making. And it will certainly be a far more uncomfortable time for Prime Minister Netanyahu. And as we saw uh, under the Obama administration, Prime Minister Netanyahu was pushed into all sorts of positions, which she certainly did not want to take a 10 month moratorium on settlement building, recognition of a Palestinian state, and even laying out a vision, uh, being pushed to the table with Mahmoud Abbas, uh, releasing uh, terrorists, uh, you know, allowing funding for the Palestinian Authority and even uh, Hamas and, and, and all sorts of other steps, which she certainly wasn't comfortable for. So, uh, you know, to, to go to elections in March, where probably there won't be too much pressure uh, just because it'll be early in the term is much better than going uh, uh, later on in the year uh, because the other option of going to elections without having to hand over a position is, is going to elections in March and then three months or 100 days uh, beyond that. And that's much further into the calendar of President Biden. He'll, I'm sure by that time, even though he'll have coronavirus, economy, many other issues to deal with, I'm sure he'll come around, to, uh, or at least his administration will come around to, uh, to the Middle East, and probably there'll be some level of pressure on Israel, or at least he won't get the quote-unquote goodies that he got under President Trump. Also, uh, perhaps even in the lead-up uh, to the March elections, with President Trump at least in office for another, what is it, uh, two months, uh, there is a very strong possibility that Netanyahu can get something out of him. Maybe it's an agreement uh, on settlements, maybe it's recognition of something. It, it's clear that uh, the long uh, 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 talked about sovereignty is off the table. I don't see any other country, uh, you know, with a lame duck president coming to the table and normalizing uh, relations with Israel at this stage. So it'll probably be something relatively small, at least on the international scale. And what that will probably mean is some recognition here or there uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, is in Israel at the moment. Uh, he's going to visit um, a few places over the Green Line, including the Golan, uh, including Judea and Samaria. So it's possible he may have even come with something uh, himself. On the Iran issue, that, that's been talked about a lot today. The Bahraini uh, foreign minister was in town. There was a, a, a three-way uh, summit between the Bahraini uh, and the uh, American foreign minister, Secretary of State and Prime Minister Netanyahu. And the, 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 the thing that was talked about the most is Iran, how these normalization agreements are isolating uh, Iran. Um, and the Palestinian issue got a mention, but really in the, in the sort of background, more as a footnote, the most important thing was Iran. And we even heard uh, some senior Saudi officials today talk about even a warning that uh, America should not uh, try and we joined the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear agreement, and really there's, there's a lot of pressure there. So maybe uh, there could be, uh, Mike Pompeo brought a, another layer of sanctions with him uh, in Israel, uh, a relatively small uh, additional le uh, level, but it, it continues that momentum, uh, which it seems at least uh, from what we can understand from president-elect or the purported winner of the elections, Joe Biden has said that he will 
uh, seek in some way to rejoin the uh, Iran deal. So, you know, that, that will make for uncomfortable viewing, especially from domestic policies. It's not something that Netanyahu, who's ran the last few times on his great relationship with Donald Trump, will be able to do so under Biden. That will certainly be a card that he will not be able to play during the elections. Um, and quite simply, I think he realizes that the, uh, the momentum at the moment with, uh, with the possible vaccines, there's a certain amount of positivity around coronavirus. And I think when the year comes around and we see that it's not gonna be the millions uh, early in the year, it's not gonna be the sudden massive vaccination of whole populations and we're going to be out of it within a few months, this is gonna go on for much longer. But there is uh, talk all the time, Netanyahu himself today said that this is the beginning of the end and this is very positive and victory over the coronavirus. This is the sort of language of someone who really, you know, is, is trying to, uh, you know, further their, their, their position ahead of elections. Another, another indicators are the fact that we're seeing more and more polling done, uh, especially from the right, to see what are the issues that they can run on, because certainly over the last year, or at least most of the year since the coronavirus, the issues that uh, Israelis have been talking about are not right and left issues. It's not about what we should do regarding settlements. It's not what we should do regarding Hamas or Gaza or even Lebanon. Again, these issues come up every now and again, but uh, these are not the, the most pressing issues as they are not for many uh, uh, populations around the world. The issues are the economy, how we're going to get out of coronavirus, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So Netanyahu is trying to play up his achievements on the coronavirus. Uh, I think it was Moody's that uh, allowed Israel to keep its very high level rating, uh, which was certainly played up uh, very strongly by uh, Netanyahu. And another thing, um, uh, was it last night that uh, Israel attacked an Iranian uh, base in Syria and quite extraordinarily, uh, not only did they take uh, direct credit for it, they actually released a video of the attacks themselves, which is fairly unprecedented. And again, an indicator of the fact that they, you know, the, the, the current Israeli government wants to get a lot of credit on, on, on some of these things. But what we're seeing also uh, beyond that is the fact that there's a lot of polling being done, asking what are the questions that are important to you? These are the sort of uh, uh, questions that come up around elections. Uh, other things uh, are we see uh, Likud, um, members of Knesset and other people who like to become members of Knesset, we're starting to spam everyone again. Uh, with SMSs, support this person, this person is great for you, this person should be you know, on a high uh, position in the Likud, et cetera, et cetera. And we see a real uh, jostling of parties. We see talk of whether Bennett will run with Smotrich again and the Yamina party, and it's quite... Uh, now, the latest talk tonight is whether the Labour party will be folded in uh, to blue and white. And there was a poll released that showed that the Labour party could gain, uh, gain blue and white another four seats. Without the Labour Party, they'd be on 10 seats. With the Labour Party, there'd be 14 seats, which is quite significant because the Labour Party on its own, uh, with Amir Peretz at the helm, will not pass the threshold. Uh, so, that's, so the fact that all of this is happening, and today we heard, in fact, only a couple of hours ago, we heard talk of the fact that Minister of Defence, Benny Gantz, is considering, I think the word that they uh, creating, uh, formalizing an investigation in the defense ministry into what's called the submarine affair. Um, we've talked about this in the past, and this is a real red rag to the Likud. It's um, in reference to a deal a number of years ago to sell 
uh, some German submarines. Uh, also, Egypt was involved and Israel bought some uh, submarines, which uh, some in the defense ministry were against. They said they were outdated, we didn't need them. Uh, but a lot of people who are very, very close to Prime Minister Netanyahu were implicated in this, some who made some, uh, some money, some who have now been indicted on uh, uh, charges of corruption. Prime Minister Netanyahu has not been uh, charged himself. There was a discussion and they even re-looked into it uh, uh, recently, but in the end it was decided that he would not be investigated. And there was this whole scenes in the Knesset where they were going to have an inquiry in the Knesset and that was in the, in the end voted down. But so what Gantz is doing here is he's obviously sending a very strong message. Well, I wouldn't say a very strong message, a relatively strong message, because there's a lot more strong messages he could send uh, to Netanyahu, but he's uh, sent him a message that, you know, this is something that I would like to keep in the headlines. And if he does go through with it, it's, it's seen as a threat over to Netanyahu. At the moment, uh, Benny Gantz doesn't have much leverage. Netanyahu has all the cards, and if Netanyahu decides to go for elections in December, there's not much Gantz can do. Gantz already ha uh, had his red lines and broke them. He said if a budget isn't submitted by, by a date, <coughs> excuse me, which is already well past, then uh, he will seriously consider the future of the government and many other red lines which he's crossed. Half of the party want to just break up the government now. Half the party want to leave and not run with blue and white. Uh, so even his own party is in a bit of disarray at the moment. Uh, but it's clear that uh, there seems to be no movement on the budget, and that's the key, the fact that we're not seeing any movement on it, we're not seeing any presentation of the budget, and it's days before the end of the year. We're probably one of the few countries which doesn't have a 2021 uh, budget. We don't even have a 2020. In fact, we haven't had a formalized budget for well over two years. So it's clear that that's uh, something which is uh, very worrying. Uh, but it's something which is obviously being used um, in the political arena. And I certainly believe from what I'm seeing more and more that uh, we are preparing for elections. Um, and it seems like elections could come very, very soon. Uh, the question is um, how it's going to work out because the polls still, there was a poll taken, as I said, very recently. Liquid, according to this poll, has gone down one more seat. Uh, Yamina is, Again, relatively on their tail at 21. Um, but the fact that Blue and White have been resurrected a little bit, up to 14 potentially with Labour, is also very interesting. Uh, the right, but what, what's most important for Netanyahu is not the number necessarily could, it's the big number. Does the right, right uh, stroke religious uh, bloc have enough to form a government of over 61? And it's clear from every single poll for the last few months, uh, at least, that they have a clear majority of 65, 66, maybe even more. Uh, it would be very difficult uh, to sit with Bennett and Bennett would demand a lot. Um, but I think Netanyahu knows that he can still deal with Bennett um, and it's probably a more comfortable situation for him than the current one. Um, but I think at the end of the day, elections are probably coming. Don't forget another, another added element is as of January, this is probably another element to show that we, we may well be going to elections because another way of telling where Netanyahu's head is, is to see what's going on in the court case. As of January, they're supposed to be, the court case supposed to go into full gear, three, I believe, uh, 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 sort of meetings every week. And Netanyahu, I believe, is supposed to uh, uh, attend all, if not the majority. So that's going to be very problematic. So suddenly we heard over the last week or two that his lawyers 
are trying to find all these bureaucratic ways out. They're trying to say that there's some problems in the indictment, some of the wording is incorrect. Now the question is why they're bringing up now because the indictment was released months and months ago. So now suddenly why they're bringing up the wording now because if they can prove that some of the wording is problematic, then it pushes the whole calendar back. And all Netanyahu needs to do is push it back a couple of months. And then he's no longer a prime minister who's sitting at least three days in a courtroom for the world to see, for everyone to hear what's going on. If he can push it past that March date, uh, which could potentially be elections, then again, he pushes another problematic detail away uh, for, for what will be a very bruising uh, campaign period. But I do believe with when you weigh up everything, that it's very likely that we are going to go to elections in December and probably have another round of elections in March. But again, anything can happen in Israel. With that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other issues. All right, thank you so much. So the first question is, is there a growing feeling by the Israeli public that it's time for a new prime minister and Netanyahu should shut down or step down? And the same for regarding the Likud party members. Well, in the public, uh, definitely, uh, if you had have looked earlier in the year, the vast overwhelming majority, well, the, the majority of the Israeli public believed that uh, there was no one to replace Netanyahu. His numbers have gone down. The one whose numbers have definitely gone up is Naftali Bennett. And in some um, <clears throat> polls, I've seen them relatively neck and neck. Again, Netanyahu was well over 50% of uh, uh, The majority, not the majority, because that's not the way uh, the Israeli political system works, but he would get the largest number. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 the Israeli public is starting to think of a time uh, beyond Netanyahu. In the Likud party, he's fairly untouchable. Uh, Likud uh, have never replaced uh, a sitting chairman, uh, whether it's Menachem Begin, whether it's uh, uh, Yitzhak Shamir, was it um, uh, Ariel Sharon who basically defected uh, and Netanyahu, they basically never uh, voted out uh, one of their prime ministers or one of their chairmen. So I don't see it happening from within. And also Netanyahu has been very clever to control all the relevant uh, Likud uh, bodies and committees. So it's gonna be, it would be almost impossible at this point to get him out, even if you could find someone who would dare to run against him, which I don't see happening. And even quietly under the radar, uh, he's ensured that he doesn't need to sit again for another primary before uh, any upcoming elections. Understood, thank you. And if Benny Gantz were to become prime minister, how much change in Israeli policy, if any, would, would occur? Well, it's quite wide because Israeli policy is, you know, we can talk about economic, social, education, health, security, diplomatic. There are differences. They're not as uh, stark as some would like uh, to have. You know, Benny Gantz is, let's say, centrist on diplomatic views or even economic views. Uh, Netanyahu's right of center, or even ever so slightly right of center on many of these issues. So I don't think there'd be a massive uh, difference. We'd see certainly a difference in tone. We'd see a difference in um, the way the country is managed. Um, and the fact is, I think. What be most important? This is why I think it's key uh, for Netanyahu to uh, uh, to ensure that Benny Gantz doesn't even get that six months. Is because 
once this kind of, you know, for want of a better word, this spell Netanyahu has been broken with, if Netanyahu even for a few months would leave Balfour, which is the prime minister's residence, uh, when he would leave the prime minister's office and someone else would suddenly be seen as prime minister, I that would be that would harm him because there is this feeling. The one thing that Netanyahu has had going for him, even those who don't love him, let's say, is the feeling that there's no one else who could do it. No one else can see uh, a prime minister. Don't forget, he's been in the office 12 years and he even held office before that. So very few, you know, many Israelis just, they remember a time before, but it's been so long that they sort of think, you know, okay, the country's okay, things are okay, so let's, let's just carry on. Why, why risk the situation? Israelis are very conservative like that. So I think the moment that someone else would step into that picture, step into those shoes, uh, hold the office of prime minister, even for a few months, it would break a certain spell. And I think that would be very damaging for Netanyahu's uh, campaign, which relies very much on that image of no one else could, do, could hold this position. Uh, so I think that's why he's fighting very, very hard. But whether Israel's policies on many of these issues uh, would suddenly change, not markedly, um, because the Israeli political spectrum at the moment, with some of the leaders, is, are not that quantifiably different one from the other. So the question in here is, the UAE, Bahrain and Sudan just voted against Israel and the UN. Is there any reaction to that? No, it's, it's unfortunately uh, expected, you know, there are countries which we have extremely good relations with, whether it's in Africa, Latin America or Europe, uh, that vote against Israel time and time again. I mean, if you see, you know, in the, in, the, in the General Assembly, you know, apart from the US, which is the most constant uh, nation to vote with Israel, we see smaller countries in the South Pacific or, you know, smaller countries around the world. Um, you know, what, what Israel has managed to do in the last few years, at least, is managed to have some nations abstain. Every, every so often, depending how harsh the resolution is, you do find other countries like maybe the Czech Republic or, uh, you know, some others who do vote uh, with Israel, some even in Africa. Um, but, you know, we, we understand the way that the United Nations works. It's very much a quid pro quo. And the fact that there's all these bodies, you know, these, these, uh, the Arab League, there's the Conference of... Uh, what's it called, the Islamic uh, grouping, there's 57 states and they're non-aligned and all this sort of thing. And Israel is one country and to vote against Israel is very easy. There's very little comeback, uh, but to vote against some of these blocks uh, is very problematic, especially when you want to seek office in multilateral institutions. So we're not happy about it in Israel. And we certainly like to see a change in this behavior and we are starting to see a slight change here and there, but at the end of the day, it's not going to threaten our relations. It hasn't threatened relations with any of the countries. And certainly Israel is not going to make a, a big deal out of the fact that they continue to vote uh, with you know, their Arab allies and on, on, on many of these issues in the UN. It's, it's not un, it wasn't unexpected. Uh, maybe in the future we'll start to see at least some abstentions from some of these countries, possibly on some resolutions, but uh, I don't see that happening uh, in the near future. Understood. Uh, what would Israel think if President Trump followed through on some sort, some type of military strike against Iran before the end of his term, which has been discussed in the news recently? That's a very hard one to judge, uh, because what does it mean exactly a military strike? Uh, it could be minor, relatively minor military strikes, and there could be a major military strike. Um, 
it's it's impossible to say. I'm sure. I, I'm assuming that uh, if there was anything like that seriously being considered, that uh, there would be consultation. Perhaps who knows? Maybe it's something that's being spoken about as we are speaking at this moment between Secretary of State Pompeo. I doubt it. Um, it seems like it was an idea floated, but it was shot down by many of uh, the administration's people. Um, I don't see it happening, um, but one never knows. Uh, and anything that derails or pushes back um, the Iranian nuclear weapons program is certainly seen as positive in Israel, but I guess it would depend exactly how it was carried out and to what level and uh, coordination, et cetera, et cetera. But my, my feeling is I, I, I don't see it happening. Thank you. Uh, what is the significance of the PA reestablishing their cooperation with Israel and the US? Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's basically a, a, an olive branch to uh, Biden. It's nothing to do with Israel. It's, a, you know, it's an excuse that sovereignty is off the table. Sovereignty has been off the table for a while. And it was never seriously, seriously on the table, despite uh, the talks about it. Um, it's obviously seen as a sort of gesture to the incoming Biden administration. Let's start again. Um, also, the Palestinian economy is doing terribly. So by reestablishing uh, these contacts, Israel is then able to push across the money that it collects for the Palestinian Authority. And uh, um, it's obviously a much better situation uh, for the Palestinians. So I think they, they were just looking for an excuse. And I think, uh, um, you know, Biden uh, winning the elections is, is seen in Ramallah as a very, very positive thing. And I think that they want to throw an olive branch out and say, we're, you know, we're, we're not holding anything back. We are ready uh, to do whatever is necessary. And we're, we're happy to, uh, you know, have a security coordination with Israel, and we're even happy to go for more. It's clearly, you know, not, not what's happened over the last four years, and they've very much stayed away uh, from anything like that. But, uh, but I think that uh, they certainly see as a, a very positive um, what, what's going on in America, and I think that they want to send that olive branch out uh, to the new administration. Thank you. And our last few moments here. Um, jumping back to Iran, can you give us your thoughts uh, regarding the events of last week involving Iran, the, the leak of the assassination in Iran of the number two leader in Al-Qaeda, and the announcement of Israel today that it attacked Iranian assets in Syria? I think you did touch on that already. But right, right. Well, I think, I think this is all part of the sort of shadow war that's gone on for many, many years where, you know, Israel, Israel's operations, along with other intelligence agencies around the world, whether it's cyber, whether it's an actual field operation, as we heard about, uh, apparently took place in, in August. Obviously, Israel hasn't commented or affirmed any of this, but uh, it, it's, it's not surprising. Israel certainly watches what's going on around the world. And I think the, 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 two, the two events are not necessarily connected in the fact that there's the Iran connection, but what's going on in Syria, what's going on in Syria is again, it's a, it's a long-standing issue with the Iranians trying to entrench themselves into Syria and Israel, basically having a policy of trying to dissuade that and push it, especially back as far as they can from the Israeli border. Uh, I think there was even some munitions found on the Israeli side of the Golan this week. So there's, you know, it's it's something which definitely the Defense Ministry in Israel and the Security Cabinet is is watching very very carefully, and I think they will take any opportunity in Syria to. Uh, to try and stop that Iranian entrenchment. What I said, as I said, is very different is the fact that they admitted it openly 
and even shared uh, information. I said part of it, I believe, is uh, with elections in mind, but there's also a message for the Iranians to show, you know, we're not playing games anymore. We're going to, you know, admit to this attack. It was us. We want to show how easily, relatively, uh, we can do it. And I think that's why they released, uh, why the IDF at least released uh, the videos of the attack. And I think it was a, a message to Tehran that, you know, we we will take any any uh, uh, action necessary. And I think the operation in Tehran uh, with the Al Qaeda number two, I think, is a is a similar message, not just to uh, Iran, but to uh, Islamic fundamentalist terrorist organizations around the world, that any threat uh, to Israel will be dealt with uh, very harshly. So I think the two events were uh, separate, they weren't connected, but they send a, a very similar message to Israel's uh, enemies around the world. Going back to the message being sent, do you think it also may have been to the US regarding a possible switch in presidency? Well, the one in Tehran uh, took place in August, uh, a long time ago, a uh, long time before we knew the uh, results yeah. of the elections. Um, but the, but the, the, the attack on Syria, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that so. Perhaps they, you know, Israel will think that they have a freer hand um, with the Trump administration. Although I don't think that the Biden administration, again, we don't know what, exactly how it will look, but I, I think as far as uh, Iranian, you know, actions, uh, problematic uh, uh, presence in Syria will not be one that they will necessarily deter Israel. Um, but, and, and Israel has taken many, many steps over the years in Syria, even under Obama administration, even under Ehud Ormert, who destroyed a nuclear uh, uh, weapons facility that was under uh, President Obama with uh, Ehud Ormert. So these kind of actions where Israel feels that if there's something going on in its neighboring country in Syria that's uh, a danger to Israel security, then it will take action. So I don't necessarily see that as a message. Maybe there's something in there, but uh, on the whole, the, the, this is fairly consistent with Israel's actions in Syria for many, many years. All right, well, thank you so much. Uh, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Anne Elizabeth Moutet discussing France and Islam. Is something changing? Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.